Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to a special edition of True Crime Daily, the podcast. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. Everyone in the world of true crime has a story to tell about a case they worked or they lived through. Some are high profile, some you've never heard of, but they're all fascinating. Today's case is about a victim gunned down in broad daylight, sending a small town in Ohio into a panic as the search ensues for the brazen killer. Was this a sinister act of retribution? What could have led the unlikely victim to meet such a brutal end? As multiple leads ran into dead ends, police uncovered what really happened. A scorned ex-lover at the wrong address and bullets meant for someone else. Our guest today is Gary McFadden, a veteran homicide detective and host of Investigation Discovery's Good Cop, Bad Cop. The show features a behind-the-scenes look at homicide investigations with this staggering twist that all the perpetrators in the six-episode docuseries are also cops. Gary, welcome to the program. It's such a pleasure to have you. How are you? Thank you. I'm I'm well. I'm great. We love that. We love when people are great. (laughs) I do, too. I do, too. Uh, Gary, before we talk about the series and one case in particular that you uh, want to really focus on, can you share with everyone what your background is in law enforcement so they can understand your perspective? Well, uh, my name is Gary McFadden. I am now the 45th sheriff of Mecklenburg County, and that's Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm in my second term, so going into my sixth year. Um, it's a four-term uh, stint. Um, the, the beautiful part that I love, I have been in law enforcement for 42 years. Uh, I started off right after college, fell in love with it, um, joined what they call Charlotte Police Department, which turned into Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department because we merged the city and the county law enforcement together. Um, So I was a homicide detective for 22 years. Um, I love to say that there's not a sheriff in America who has ever won a case against me when it came to homicide. And if you find one, you know, I'll take you and him to lunch. Um, Okay. And so then after that, my career, um, I lectured a lot. I worked as a uh, a private consultant for law enforcement for a while. Um, and then someone say, run for sheriff. And so I ran for sheriff and I made it and I'm in my second term. But during that time, you know, ID Discovery, um, ID discovered me and um, had me on a show. I had a show called I Am Homicide. Um, 
which most people recognize, they'll say homicide. Um, and ID came back with good cop, bad cop. And I, I'll tell you, um, it was hard. It was hard because when I was going through these cases, I'm saying cops kill people on duty and just go along with their life. But it is very interesting. I'm very excited about uh, working with ID again. And so I'm happy. And I, I think it's, uh, it's something that needs to be brought out. And officers who truly honor and respect the profession should stand in the gap and say, this happened, but it's not us. So um, I'm happy to be here. Um, I don't know when I'm going to retire. I, I love my job now. Um, I have a 3,000 bed facility. I have about 1,100 employees. And I'm in a city of 1.1 million. And so I am the person in charge of all of that. Wow. And where are you physically on the planet today? I mean, not your home, I, but I, but but where, what city are we in? <laughs> I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. I just drove in from uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. North Carolina Correctional uh, Conference was being held. They asked me to be the guest speaker. I told them I, I would have to get back. And now I'm on this wonderful Zoom call to talk to you all. Oh, well, we just love that. I love your energy, Sheriff Gary. I mean, I, I just think it's it's a wonderful thing because you deal with such heavy and dark things and to still be able to maintain some humanity. And the most important thing is compassionate for survivors and victims of crime in my world. They're number one. Number one. Number one. Okay, so let's talk about this case, which is interesting. And I've covered a few cases like this in the past for um, where the actual killer was a cop and tried to cover up the crime. And, and you know, I always say murder is not a problem-solving solution, yet people turn to it as a way of getting rid of that problem or making sure that secret is never revealed. And in this case, really at the heart of everything is domestic violence, which... Yes is is we talk about a lot on this program because so sadly it is is a it's so volatile and many times ends in serious injury or death many cases that when i did do an investigation it was domestic violence so um i'm a big advocate of that uh, of fighting domestic violence but domestic violence is an issue but murder is not the solution no it is absolutely not so l- let's Let's start talking about this case and you can walk us through us. So back on February 19th of 2000 in the small Ohio town of Silverton, 25-year-old Sean Barry hears the doorbell. So he opens the door, quick argument, and before you know it, he is dead. He has been shot multiple times. This happened at his sister's apartment. So his sister, Jeanette Barry, calls 911 and the murder is shocking for a, a million reasons. First of all, you know, you're you're shot, you're you're executed literally in the threshold of an apartment. But also this town is so small, it's got like 5,000 people and there's a homicide maybe once every 10 years. So there there it's just a really unusual situation. It is. It it brought a lot of drama to the township. Um of course it brought a lot of drama to his family. But, you know, when you're talking about a sleepy town, um, and I think they refer to it as Mayberry, the sad part about it, Mayberry is about 60 miles from me now. And so I know that sleepy little town of Mayberry in Mount Airy, North Carolina. And so when you talk about that, it is the biggest talk of the city. If this happened in another city like Charlotte, it would be just another case. But in a small town like that, everybody has a conversation about it, which is good, but sometimes which is bad. 
But for a homicide detective, I would say for this, it is very good because the town is closely knit and they will have a lot of witnesses. They will. But I I think what ends up happening is that um, there isn't a ton of forensic evidence at the scene. Uh, Rayshawn ultimately dies from his injuries. And there are there are witnesses who see bits and pieces of it until finally there is a key witness who hands over a little nugget that makes it possible for you all to to find some surveillance video because there's something unique about this individual there's something about um a missing patch of hair or or a light colored patch something yes it is good to have all of the witnesses and for homicide detectives we want a lot of witnesses and then we'll weed out who are the best witnesses who are the good witnesses and then what one witness may have seen up until a point the other witness will bring it in and all of a sudden then we have that part of a complete puzzle. And when they have that part of the complete puzzle, then you can go from there. So in this case, um, the detectives did a great job. No matter if they're a small town, they did a great job. They did. They followed up all the leads. And so um, while you're tracking down all these leads, and so everyone knows uh, the case that we're discussing is part of Good Cop, Bad Cop, your docu-series. I believe it's the last episode of the series is focused on this case. So while you're trying to track that down, um, everyone's investigating Rayshawn's life. And Rayshawn did have a friend who, you know, even his sister said she was worried he was a little sketchy, generally carried a gun, owed people a lot of money. So there was a lot of focus on on that individual in in the beginning as well. But that ends up to be a dead end. It did, but we have to understand, which is a term that we use in homicide, it's called forensic victimology. And what you mean is that you have to really look into the victim's background. I hate to say this, I'm a sheriff. Um, I've been a a sheriff for six years. I have been a detective for 22 years. I have been a officer for 42 years. I have been a human being for 63 years. And you know what? I got those same kind of friends that he has. Because you grow up with them and you move on, but they're still your friends and your family's always going to say, well, you know, Gary got these two people that you go and visit sometime. So it's good that we know about those people and we need to rule them out. If we don't rule them out, the defense will rule them in as a piece of the evidence, a piece of the case that we did not investigate. So when you find these friends, you have to also talk to them. But then that's a door, as we said that's a door that we can close instead of the defense walking through that door. So we have these friends and it's good that the family brought that to our attention instead of the defense would have bring brought that to our uh, to their attention. So this friend um, who was not the person who rang the doorbell, police determined has a very tight alibi, did not want to kill Rayshawn. Well, you're still trying to figure this out. Is there a sense in the beginning whether this is a targeted killing? Because it sure as heck seems like it. You ring the doorbell and then you shoot the person who opens the door. It kind of seems like it's targeted. What did you what was the thought at the time? It was a targeted. uh, The victim was targeted uh, because he wasn't confronted in a park a lot. It's not over a parking space. You're not walking from a restaurant or somewhere else and somebody comes up to you. You're not at a nightclub having an argument 
And then, you know, you step on somebody's shoes or toes and then, and it starts. This person knocked on the door, waited for someone to come to the door, had a slight argument and then took Rayshawn's life. So it, for me in the beginning, it was a targeted, you knock on somebody's door, you're not delivering a pizza. So you, you, you're there for some other reason. Okay. So it doesn't seem like a random act of violence. And, and as the investigation continues, it, 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 it is for sure not random. There was a big, big, big mistake on the killer's part. The killer intended to kill that day, but the killer got the wrong apartment. Yes, he did. Um, he had a lot of anger. Um, he was ready to kill someone. Um, he, in some of the footage or some of the documentary, you'll see that the suspect was looking for someone, asking a bunch of people where this person is. Um, and Rayshawn was not. So he went looking for somebody. He was, as I said, he, the hunter was hunting for someone. And he found someone and maybe not who he wanted, but then it probably brought something into his soul that this could be somebody's interfering with my marriage, interfering with, with my wife, and then took Rayshawn's life. So the suspect, the man described by witnesses with this white patch of hair who's seen on a surveillance video at a post office because of this very distinctive patch, because of the clothing, it's determined, and it's a small town, so everybody knows everybody. It's determined that the lead suspect for this murder is a man named Owen Hobbs. Okay. Correct. Who is Owen Hobbs, and why is it so troubling that this is your lead suspect? Well, I think that uh, for me, if I have run into a similar situation like that, um, when the detectives found, you know, they know that the videotape had exist, but um, because it was a federal holiday, they had to wait a while. So, and I mean, I couldn't even imagine waiting for three or four days to get this. And then when they get it, it is a great video. It's not the best video, but it's a great video that they have the jacket, uh, they have the description, but then the suspect had a white patch of hair in his head. And so that's a very distinct birthmark or identifying characteristic. So the detectives did a great job. They put it out to the media, make the media to your friend, talk to the media, put it out there. Small town has nothing to do but gossip about this big murder. They're going to talk about it. They're going to look through yearbooks. And then all of a sudden somebody said, hey, this guy just left my house. The detectives rush over and talk to them. He knew the guy's name as Hobbs. The detectives recognized the name as a past co-worker who were fired because of a theft. And so I'm sure at that moment, as they say, you know, things got a little foggy and a little shaky because now you have to tell everybody else, not only that we are investigating a cop, we're investigating a cop that we work with and now you have to think about how many people in a small town may have recognized this and how many officers, even though it's a small department, could be friends of Hobbs to give him the ups that, hey, you are a suspect. So it becomes a very difficult situation at that moment. I can only imagine. So Owen Hobbs was fired from the Hamilton County Sheriff's Department in 1996 after he was caught stealing what's called 
bait money from an internal investigation. What would bait money be? Is that like the kind of thing you see in the movies where, you know, they, the cops show up for an undercover sting with money? It has to come from somewhere. Yes. Uh, forfeit, uh, forfeit money, seizure money. We have that money. So, you know, you probably gave it to somebody. He's probably had an informant that says that he has this information. And he signed a slip. That's how it was in the old days. You sign a slip and give it to the informant, confidential informant, the CI. And then all of a sudden, uh, he probably said, I gave the confidential informant $300. And then they probably went and talked to him. He says, man, I have not received a dime from him. And so they probably set him up um, and baited the, baited the bait money um, and probably got caught with the bait money. So he ends up pleading guilty to one count of theft in office and then was sentenced to 19 months in prison. OK, so now he's not working as a cop anymore. He definitely has a criminal history, but the jump from thief to killer is a very big one. I mean, that that that's that's a whole different kind of crime here. But apparently the issue was what was going on in his marriage. Apparently he was very abusive to his wife, Judy, and uh, she suffered greatly at his hands, at his abusive hands. And she finally left him. And when she left him, she did what many um, victims of domestic violence do. They make sure to get away at a time when they can't be seen to a place where no one will tell. But he is a cop, isn't he? And he was determined to find her. And that is that is the biggest problem. Um, when our domestic violent victims get into these situations, it is good to move away. Uh, some even change their identity, change their locations. And I believe that she did as much as she knew how to do. Um, but then you have to remember, he's in jail, he's in prison. He has 19 months to think about this. His wife is gone, moved on with her life, and he wants to find out. And of course, with a law enforcement background, he know, who's to, he know who to call, how to look up, look up phone records, look up water bills, electrical bills, anything that you can find, you know, social media. And then, you know, you probably have somebody at the tax office, social security office, and, you know, you probably call them and find out an address. And then he was on a mission to make sure that she knew that he was still in control. And that's what domestic violence is about. So when he shot the man at the door, he thought he was shooting his ex-wife's new boyfriend, lover, whomever, but he was off by apartments. So the problem was she lived at apartment 11 and Owen Hobbs rang the doorbell at apartment 12. Right. Huge and fatal mistake. You're correct. He probably followed her to a point. So not so close that he would be recognized and probably you know, the, the apartments were probably next door to each other, across the hall from each other. And he may have seen her walk into that hallway. So then imagine he's already upset. He's already mad. He probably is putting his mind that his wife is cheating on him and he wants to find that guy. And so imagine you knock on the door, believing that your wife is going to come to the door and you may take her life. But then you see her supposedly boyfriend probably standing, relaxing in the morning. He probably didn't have a lot of clothes on from the crime scene footage. And, you know, it looks like he's just having a great day with a remote in his hand, watching TV. And so when he answered the door, he's in shock. 
But Hobbs is probably in shock also. But then that shock went into rage. And then he probably has some thoughts about his wife is sleeping with this person. His wife is having an affair with this person. And he's going to teach him a lesson. And he shoots and kills him. But then the mistake of broad daylight, small community, uh, characteristics that nobody else has had. And you go to a place that you probably didn't think that had cameras, did have cameras. Do you believe that he set out that day to kill someone or he went there to talk to his ex-wife and he and his rage got out of control and then he killed Rayshawn, who was not had nothing to do with his wife, but he thought was his wife's lover or boyfriend. Do you believe he set out to kill someone that day? I believe that he set out to kill his wife. Um, I think that he was going to teach her a lesson. Um, you don't go and talk to anyone just to talk to someone to bring a gun. Uh, so the gun is part of it. So if you don't listen to me, guess what? I'm going to end it all there. But then when he answered the door, it was probably a shock to him. But then the rage got even worse when he sees this guy there and he probably thought about this is who my wife is cheating with. This is who her lover is. I knew it. I got her. She moved out. She left me. And Rayshon probably said something smart. Who are you? What do you want? Anything. And then all of a sudden it's a rage and he shoots and killed him. I believe that he set out to kill someone. Um, and I think that someone would have been his wife. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What a horrible case. And, and it's just everything about it so preventable, obviously, obviously, um, and to have the, the perpetrator be someone who really should know better, uh, it's, it just adds to the tragedy. Well, they should know better, but, you know, here's what I say when in law enforcement, and it's, which is a sad thing. Um, when I was with, uh, when I was a cop on the street, I understood a lot about people's lives and who they are. And some of the cops I worked with, I probably would have never hired, um, and that's being honest. Yeah. I, I'm being honest with it. Oh, I'm I agree. being honest with it. And so now I am a sheriff that I get to swear everybody in and they raise their hand. And I scared my whole staff the other day. Uh, well, not the other day when I was swearing all of them in. 
And I said, I was passing the police department because it's across the street from us. And I said, you know what the problem I'm having today is? I know what your badge say. I know what your chest says with all your stars and all your emblems, but I don't know your heart. I do not know what your heart says today. Are you really this person to uphold the law? Are you really this person that believes in humanity? Are you really this person who's going to save that child or do not victimize someone because of their lifestyle on the streets, because they're houseless, we don't say homeless, houseless, or they're in a profession that is only being done to survive and we we call de-victimize them. Are you those persons or those people? And I worry about that. Am I keeping the right people? And I can tell you, I have let a lot of people go because of that, because I need that honest person with integrity. And my father always said, the real person is who you are when you're all alone with yourself. That's the real you. And so for this case, um, it's sad to say Hobbes probably was this person his entire life, but it got worse and worse and worse. And then when he got the ability to have authority over someone, think about it, his wife never reported these domestic violence things because her husband was an officer. And so um, it turns out to be a tragedy um, for Rayshon, an absolutely tragedy. Oh, it's it really is. Well, Owen Hobbs was convicted of the shooting later that same year. Um, he was sentenced to 15 years to life, but he ended up dying in prison in 2014. And, you know, one of the conversations we always have on this podcast is about justice. And it never really feels like justice, even when you get a maximum sentence and you get a conviction. It, it Because the loss is so enormous um, I, and the struggle also is the process that you go through to even get to that point of legal justice is so horrible on the family. Um, Chef Gary, is there anything you think that we can do to better this process for the survivors and the victims? You you actually can't. Um, as they probably told you, I've worked over 800 homicide cases. I can't tell you what it's like to give that death notification. And years later, you see that same family. People say there there is closure. There is never closure. There's there's no such thing. And you said um, it'll get better. It does not. It 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 ease up some of the pain. But actually, we're going into the holidays now. You know, Thanksgiving and Christmas. These are sad holidays. Birthdays are sad. Uh, birthdays when you lost a loved one, and I hear it each and every single day from past victims. I have victims' family who calls me on the holidays, um, who calls me on their loved one's uh, birthday. And, you know, sometimes you're in their life for 20 years. It's one lady, I've been in her life, I've been in several people alive for 30 years, and they see me as family. But it is so hard because you cannot, they say it's justice because of the crime, but you can't ever bring true justice. And I know this is sound crazy. The only justice, if you can bring the person back mm -hmm. and that person is back in your life, other than that, you're just trying to soothe their pain. Um, and the criminal justice system, it's not harsh, but it's hard to deal with, you know, because when it came to court, imagine the family reliving that, you know, reliving that. You're in court. I try to warn my families, you may not want to be here for this part. We're going to show crime scene photos. Um, the autopsy is going to be shown and the doctor is going to say, this is the bullet travel path 
through the victim's body. And this is what it damaged. To, to have someone sitting there reliving that, thinking about your loved one is horrible. And so I try to tell my families when I had them, this is the part of the time in the courtroom you want to leave. And I will come back and get you because it is very hard to hear that. The crime scene photos of just your loved one on the ground or in a car or wherever they may find you is horrible enough. But imagine a medical examiner walking you through the steps of what he did or she did. And then we walk you through what the person said um, and it makes you mad. You know, their, their comments make you mad. The way they depict your loved one makes you mad. And then you have the family on the other side fighting for their family's freedom or life. You know, they're, they're 20 feet away from you making comments and saying things. And everything that you say that is good about your loved one, they're snickering or saying something else. It is horrible. It's a horrible, horrible thing that we have to do. But it is... Um, I don't know if the word rewarding is good, but it, it is a good feeling to have that day in court and give the family some sense of justice. But it's really no justice you can really give them. Criminally, on paper, yes, you won a case. And the defense um, uh, did their job and the prosecutor won a case. The prosecutor is going to go home and, and tell his wife or family or the husband what great case that he won or she won today, but the family goes back home and just simply hold the pictures and look at them. It, it is, it is very, very tough. Very. I'm sorry, but it's very tough. It is. It is. It it's there. I think you're right. There is no such thing as closure. And no. um, it's very touching that people still reach out to you decades later. Yeah. It so is, it is, it has really helped me along. Um, what's great about it is that they support me. Um, even in my endeavors now, uh, I went to speak at a conference um, a couple of weeks ago and two victims, one victim's mother called the other victim's mother and, hey, say, Gary, they don't even say detective. They don't even say sheriff. They say, hey, uh, Gary's speaking. And at this conference, which I didn't understand why, um, but they had me to speak at this conference and they bought tickets just to see me. And it made oh. me feel so good. They came up and hugged me. And we laugh about um, all the things that they did against, I mean, how they talk against me when I first got the case and how they kind of hate me. But now we're like family. I mean, we were on first name basis and we laugh about it. And they told the story, you know, but I was a detective that really, truly loved my job. And I truly love the people. Um, and, and I hope that shows at the end of, end of my career whenever I stop working. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. I think that it does. I think it does. And I think that that level of humanity is really important because when you're, you are at your most vulnerable um, and you're turning to really what ends up being complete strangers, you hope that they have compassion and um, sympathy and support for you. And it's weird because it's coming from strangers. And that's what's so you know, the, what this process is like, I always say, you know, the reason I I am a crime reporter is because I learn so much from the victims. I learn about compassion and about forgiveness. Yes. I don't know. I always say, I don't think I could be as understanding or forgiving as some of these yeah. families, but we all no. have to find a path so we can continue to function after something so traumatic. You, you're absolutely right. Uh, I told them I, I could never do, um, I could never, I could never do it. You know, I think about that so many times that I come home and my children are the same age that some of my victims. Um, and, but then you, you say, how do you survive? And I tell detectives, um, have that compassion, have, you know, have humility at some points. And I know I got chastised a lot about the way that I investigate cases. If I'm going on vacation, I would call my victims' families, which were, you know, sometimes 10 or 15 families and say, look, I'm going on vacation. I'm going to be out for a week or so. Look, gather your information. When I get back, you know, I'm going to jump back on the case. It's not. And then you kind of bring them into your world, too. And, you know, you let them see that you're human that you have problems, um, you have a wife or a husband, you have kids, and you, you're going through, you know, your air condition goes out too, and you let them know. The reason I'm late that I didn't answer the phone when you called at nine o'clock, because my air condition went out. That helped me all through my career because you showed them the human side of you. And so when you get to that court case, um, you feel better. But what I tell detectives, never, ever, ever lie to your victim's family. If you don't have anything, tell them you don't have anything. You know, I hate when the detective said, well, we're still the case is still open and we still investigating it. Well, tell the family where you are on that investigation. Tell the families what you are doing on that investigation. Tell them why it takes so long for them to remove the body from the street. Tell them how many autopsies that the medical examiner is going to have to do and how they're going to dictate it. And so this is why it takes six months. You know, and so you explain it to them and you're almost teaching them. So when they get to court and something goes wrong, then they are pretty much on your side. And I've had that to happen. You know, if the D.A. doesn't want to bring this specialist in 
for, for whatever amount of money. And I said, well, I told him to bring this specialist in and he didn't want to do it. If that becomes a problem doing the trial, I'm going to look back at them and said, we knew that we wanted to bring this person and you will be a great detective if you do that. I think that's important. You know, some people try really hard to to get people to sit down when there's a big case. And my approach has always been very, very different. Mine is, this is who I am. You can look at my body of work. Um, but please, I'm sorry for your loss. And if I'm not the person that you want to tell this story to, you know, I'm not going to badger you. I'm not, I just, I don't, it, how does that help anyone? How does that make you a decent human being? It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, And it was one of the things I absolutely hated when I was a local news reporter, because they would send you to knock on doors just as someone has found something horrible. It is. It's a horrible thing. It is. It is tough. You have to uh, realize what you're going through. Uh, I remember talking a mother called me one time when I was working a homicide scene and she says, detective, I need to see you. I need to see you right now. I said, I'm working a scene. I will, I will probably come and talk to you because I was working her son's. Uh, I had worked a prior son's murder. And so when I was at this scene, I said, I know this person for some reason, but I can't remember where I knew him from. And I knew the car. And when the mother called me the second time, I realized it was her car and her son. Oh my! And so she's calling me. She says, Brian didn't make it home. And so I'm rushing over to the house and I'll never forget it. I get there about 10 minutes before the noon day, the noon day news. And so when the news come on, I am standing in front of the TV and she said, Gary, why are you standing in front of the TV? I said, I just need to talk to you about something. Um, She said, no, I need to talk to you about something. How can you talk to me about something? And I call you to talk to me about something. And I reached back and turned the TV off. And she collapsed right then because she knew it was her son. You know, because I had this look on my face and I, I panicked. And I just turned the TV off and I said, Miss Sally, I need to talk to you. And she, at that point, she knew that was her son. But as I said before, she didn't say Detective McFadden. She said Gary. So we had that relationship that we had built. And some people want that respect to be detective. No, you want that respect to solving the case. Mm. I'm always surprised at people who want to look at truly gruesome crime scenes. I know, you know, in the history of, of my career, I've seen things I never wanted to see. I tried not to see, but sometimes literally as you're racing up to a scene and nothing is covered yet, you see it all. Um, you can't erase those from your memory. There is not one human being who's lost his or her life that I've seen that I can erase. I can't get them out of there. You can't. Um, you can't. You have to find some place to go after that um, and take time for yourself. Um, as homicide detectives or detectives, we see a lot. You, When we talk about, and most people don't realize this, a homicide detective is a homicide detective that works homicides, but we work suicides. We work natural deaths. We, we work unexplained deaths. We even work um, industrial deaths. So imagine someone's is working at a factory 
and something falls on them. Or imagine somebody working at a factory and feeding a machine and and their hand gets caught in it. Imagine that, you know, I, I imagine you cleaning out a tanker truck and you fall inside. Or imagine you say, well, I don't know where that person, I know that she was expecting, but she's not expecting now. And we don't know what happened to the baby. And then you go someplace and find that baby. Mm. These are all of the things that we have done in our career. An airplane crash in Charlotte, 36 victims. I can tell you that I had to physically remove all of the jewelry and wallets and personal items off of 36 victims. Now, here's the, here's the catch part. The next day, on, this was a three-day event. The next day, the person whose locker, besides my locker at work, a police officer, was going through a divorce, going through some problems, and actually took his life on duty. No one told me about it. So I get to the medical examiner the next day, working on the same 36, 38 people from the airplane crash. And what we say, we saw the parallel blue line. That means I walked in and there's an officer inside of the morgue. Two days later, my father passed. Now, that's a lot for one week, but that is just a normal week. Now, think about it. I've never talked about my family. So I still had family going on. And just because I'm working at the morgue on the airplane crash does not mean that victims' families will stop calling. I can't call them up and say, hey, stop calling because I have an airplane crash. I can't. And so these are the things that we need to, to look at. But I tell people, I don't know who wants to see photos of people who have been killed or accidentally lost their life. I don't know who likes to see them. I don't. Neither do I. I don't. I don't. No. I don't. No. And I, I think it's a really important part that at least from our end here as, um, you know, reporters of, of crime cases that we use and be sensitive, not only in the asking of questions, but in the telling of the case and what is shown. And I think that there are some who go way too far yes. and it is very damaging. And I, I think a lot of um, people don't realize how damaging it can be. The, the facts are more exciting. The facts of the case is more exciting. <sighs> Following the leads and, and running the lead down. And sometimes this is crazy. Following the lead that you think is great. And then it's a, it's a boom. And then you sit there and then you have to regenerate them. But when you get that patch in your hair, inside the post office and then a guy comes up and says i know him by name and when he walks into the room and he has that patch and this is his jacket and the dna match and the car match and the screwdriver match that's the best feeling that's yeah. the best feeling even yeah. if you don't confess i have all this evidence that you're going to have to try to weasel your way out of but you can't that's the best feeling that that's, you don't need the, the gruesome pictures you just need the good facts the facts in this case is you weeded all the suspects out. You know, I can imagine you waiting for three days for the post office to open up and then, you know, you get it. You That's a Christmas present to us. That is an actual Christmas present. And when you see it, you feel good. But when that phone call come to say, hey, I know that guy and he can give you that name. That's a great feeling. Yeah. That's a great feeling. Good cop, bad cop on investigation. Good cop, bad cop. Discovery. That's fabulous. Um, Sheriff. We wish you much success, not just with the television show, because I think there are far more important things that you're working on here. No, it's but, good. 
<laughs> but we wish you success, um, much success in life and um, staying safe and keeping everyone in your department and in the community as safe as possible. Where can people find you, follow you? Do you have a social media footprint? It is. It, okay, this is this is the joke that we laugh. Um, my social media footprint is sugar free talk. No, it is. It is yes, it's, no. it's called sugar free talk. It is called the truth. It's called uh, the bitter truth. And and so uh, you can see I have to laugh about it because even my official title at the sheriff's office is sugar free talk. Uh, but it's on all social media platforms, platforms. And here's the crazy part about it. I can give you my email because I get emails from all over the country anyway. And so you never know. And I tell people why you, you, you just never know what might happen. So I can give you my uh, email address and people can email me. Um, I get them. I get a hundred already, but I can give it to you. And it is Gary with two R's G A R R Y dot McFadden M C F A D D E N at Mac. M-E-C-K-N-C dot gov. Thank you so much. This has been True Crime Daily, the podcast. And as we always say, don't do crime. <laughs>